The Mystical City of God, The Incarnation, Book 3, Chapter 25. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes the journey of Most Holy Mary from the house of Zechariah to her home in Nazareth. 314. Returning from the town of Judah to Nazareth the Most Holy Mary, the living tabernacle of God, pursued her way through the mountains of Judea in the company of her most faithful spouse St. Joseph. Although the evangelists do not make mention of any haste in this journey homeward, such as is recorded by St. Luke and occasioned by the special mystery connected with it, yet the great princess made this return journey with great expediency also, on account of the events which awaited her at home. All the journeys of this heavenly lady were a mystical counterpart of her spiritual and interior advances. For she was the true tabernacle of the Lord, which was to find no definite resting place in this mortal pilgrimage, 1 Chronicles 17 5, on the contrary, progressing daily from one stage to another and to higher condition of wisdom and grace, she continually pushed forward on her pilgrimage to the promised land, Numbers 789 and she bore continually with her on her journey the true appeasement, wherefrom she drew ceaseless increase of her gifts and acquired for us eternal salvation. 315. The great queen and St. Joseph again consumed four days in their return journey, as they had done on their coming. On the way they maintained the same divine conversations, and they experienced events similar to those already mentioned in chapter 16. In the ordinary practices of humility, in which they vied with each other, our Queen always came out victorious, except when St. Joseph called obedience to his aid, because she considered obedience the greater humility. As she was already in her third month of pregnancy, she was more attentive and careful in her journey. Not that her pregnancy caused her any difficulties, for it was on the contrary a most sweet alleviation of any hardships. But this careful and prudent mother was filled with the consciousness of her treasure, for she beheld day by day the natural growth of the body of her most holy son in her virginal womb. Notwithstanding the ease and lightness of her pregnancy, she nevertheless was subject to the exertion and the fatigue of the journey, for the sovereign lady made no use of her privileges to diminish her sufferings, but she gave free scope to the fatigues and inconveniences of travel in order to be in all things our teacher and the faithful image of her most holy son. 316. As the divine fruit of her womb was naturally of the most perfect growth, and as she was herself of the most comely and well-proportioned shape without any defect whatsoever, it was natural that her condition should become noticeable and she knew that it would be impossible to conceal it much longer from her husband. Already she began to look upon him with greater tenderness and compassion in view of the shock which his love would feel on noticing her condition. Gladly would she have turned it aside if she had known that such was the will of God. But the Lord gave her no indication of his will in these anxious thoughts, for he had ordained that the event should come about in such a way as to increase his glory and the merits both of St. Joseph and of the Virgin Mother. Nevertheless the great lady besought his majesty to fill the heart of her spouse with patience and wisdom, and to assist him with grace, that he might act in this conjuncture according to the divine pleasure. For she was convinced that it would occasion him great grief to see her pregnant. 317 
In the course of the journey the mistress of the world performed some wonderful works, although always in secret. It happened that when they arrived at a place not far from Jerusalem some people from another town came to the same inn. They brought with them a young woman seeking a cure for her sickness in the larger and more populous city. She was known to be very sick, but no one knew what was her sickness or the cause of it. This woman had lived a very virtuous life. On this account the enemy, who knew her character and her advanced virtues, began to direct his attacks especially against her, as he always does against the friends of God, since he considers them his own enemies. He caused her to commit some sins and in order to force her from one abyss into another, he tempted her with despondent thoughts and disorderly grief at her fall. Having thus upset her judgment this dragon found entrance into her body, and now he with many other demons had possession of her. I have already said in the first part that the infernal dragon, when he saw in heaven the woman clothed with the sun, Revelations 12 1, conceived a great wrath against all virtuous women. Of her progeny are all those that follow Mary, as may be judged from that same chapter of the Apocalypse. On this account he exerted all his arrogance and tyranny in the possession of the body and soul of this afflicted woman. 318. The heavenly princess saw her in the tavern and knew of her affliction, which was unknown to the others. Moved by her motherly pity, she begged her most holy son to give health of body and soul to the unfortunate woman. Perceiving that the divine will was inclined to mercy, she used her power as queen and commanded the demons instantly to leave this creature never to return. Moreover, she banished them to the infernal depths, their lawful and appropriate dwelling. This command of our great queen and lady was not given vocally, but mentally, in such a way as to be perceptible to the impure spirits. It was so powerful that Lucifer and his companions hastened to leave that body and hurl themselves into the infernal darkness. The fortunate woman was freed and seized with wonder at the unhoped for delivery, and in her inmost heart she was drawn toward the most pure and holy lady. She looked upon her with an especial veneration and love, thereby deserving two other favors. One was that she was filled with the most sincere sorrow for her sins, the other, that the evil effects or traces of the demonic possession under which she had suffered were erased. She was aware that the mysterious stranger, whom she had so fortunately met on her way was concerned in the heavenly blessing. She therefore spoke to her, and our queen answered with words that went straight to the heart, she exhorted her to perseverance and also merited it for her during the rest of her life. Her companions likewise recognized the miracle but they attributed it to their promise of bringing her to the temple of Jerusalem and of offering some gift for her. This promise they fulfilled, praising God, but remaining ignorant of the source of their good fortune. 319. Vast and furious was the wrath of Lucifer when he found himself and his demons dispossessed and cast out from their abode by the mere word of this woman Mary. Full of wrathful astonishment he exclaimed, who is this weak woman who commands us and oppresses us with so much power? What new surprise is this, and how is my pride to stand it? We must hold a council, and see how we can unite to destroy her. Since I will say more of their doings in the next chapter, I leave them to their wrathful designs. Our pilgrims in the meanwhile came to another tavern, 
the master of which was a man of bad habits and character, and as a beginning of his happiness, God ordained that he should receive most holy Mary and Joseph with good will and marks of kindness. He showed them more courtesy and good services than he was accustomed to show to others. In order to return his hospitality with still greater kindness the great queen, who knew the sad state of his interior, prayed for him, justifying his soul and causing him to change his life. Her prayers had also the effect of adding to his worldly possession, for on account of the small favor done to his heavenly guests, God increased them from that time on. Many more miracles the Mother of Grace wrought in this journey, for all her doings were divine, Canticles 4.13, and all who were of proper disposition were sanctified by meeting her. They finished their journey at Nazareth, where the Princess of Heaven set her house in order, and cleaned it with the assistance of her holy angels, for they vied with her in humility and were anxious to serve and honor her by taking part in these humble occupations. The holy Joseph applied himself to his ordinary daily work, providing for the sustenance of the queen, and his trusting heart was not deceived in her. Proverbs 31:11. She girded herself with new strength for the mysteries which she awaited, and she put forth her hands to valiant deeds, enjoying in her soul the undimmed vision of the treasure of her womb and connected with it, incomparable delights and blessings. Thus she continued to gain vast merits and made herself unspeakably pleasing to God. The instruction which the Queen of Heaven gave me. 320. My daughter, the faithful souls and children of the Church, who know God, must make no distinction of time place or occasions in the practice of faith and the other virtues connected with it. For God is present in all things and fills them with his infinite being, Jeremiah 23:24, and in all places and circumstances faith will enable them to see and adore him in spirit and in truth, John 4:22. Just as preservation follows upon creation, and as breathing follows upon life, and just as there is no intermission in the breathing nourishment and growth of man until the end is reached, so the rational creature, after having been regenerated by faith of grace, must never interrupt the course of the spiritual life, continually pursuing works of life by faith hope and charity in all places and at all time, James 2.26. On account of their forgetfulness and carelessness, the children of men, and especially the members of the church, possess the life of faith as if they had lost it, allowing it to die for want of charity. These are the ones who have received in vain this their new soul, as David says, because they neglect it as if they had never obtained it, Psalm 23 4. 321. I desire, my dearest, that your spiritual life be just as continual as your natural life. You must continue to lead a life such as is required by the grace and gifts of the Most High, believing and hoping in the Lord, loving, praising and adoring Him in spirit and in truth, no matter what changes there may be in time, occupation or place. He is in all things and He wishes to be loved and served by all rational creatures. 
I therefore charge you that whenever souls come to you full of this forgetfulness of their faults, and harassed by the demons, you pray for them with lively faith and confidence. If the Lord does not always fulfill what you desire and what they ask, he will follow his own secret counsel, and you will have pleased him by having acted as a true spouse and daughter. If you faithfully follow my instructions, I assure you that he will confer upon you many special privileges for the benefit of souls. Consider what I did at the sight of souls displeasing to the Lord, and how zealously I worked for all, and for some in particular. To imitate and oblige me, do likewise work and pray for those whose interior becomes known to you through the Lord or through other means, admonish them with prudence, humility and resignation, for the Almighty does not desire you to proceed noisily, nor that the results of your labors be always manifest, but that they remain hidden. In this he conforms himself to your naturally retiring disposition and to your desires, and he seeks what is most secure for you. And although you must pray for all souls, yet you must pray more earnestly for those whom the divine will points out to you.